I've been up here by myself for a long time, and it's, it's good to have you. Fred Craddock was a young single pastor in East Tennessee. His county got a new uh, power plant, and, and lots of people moved to the county to get the new, for the new jobs. The people that moved to Craddock's little town, his corner of the county, had come, frankly, for the, for the lower-paying jobs. These were the working-class people, the blue-collar folks. Some of them are quite poor. When they came, they filled up the town's trailer park and built and filled another. Craddock, this enthusiastic young single pastor, went to the leaders one Sunday and he said, he, he set forth a vision, a challenge. He said, he said, we need to make an intentional, enthusiastic effort to go out to those trailer parks and invite them to our little church. One of the leaders said, well, preacher, I don't know about that. Some of, the, some of them might not, you know, fit in here. A heated debate followed and they decided that the next week they would have a, a vote on the pastor's idea. So after the worship service, they had a business meeting. A member of the church stood and said, I move that in order to be a member of this church, one must own property in the county. An obvious move to exclude those that were renting trailers in the trailer park. The pastor voted against it, but the motion passed. Years passed, uh, Craddock moved on, got married. Years later, they, they were in East Tennessee and Craddock wanted to show his wife that little church where he had been pastor before he even met her. So they drove around that the little town had grown, the place had changed, so that they had a hard time finding that, old, that little church building where he'd been pastor, but they did finally fi found it, did finally find it. And when they pulled up, the, uh, the parking lot was packed, it was full. There were motorcycles and pickup trucks and cars everywhere. And there was a sign out in front of the building. It read, barbecue all you can eat. It wasn't a church anymore, it was a restaurant. <clears throat> so Craddock and his wife went in, got a table, scanned the crowd. There were all kinds of people there, old people, young people, black people, brown people, white people, a few people in business suits and a lot of people in coveralls and overalls. Having scanned the crowd, Craddock said to his wife, it's a good thing this building is not a church anymore. If it were, some of these people wouldn't be welcomed here. Church folks everywhere tend to get confused about our role. Church folks everywhere tend to think that some people are welcome and some people are not. I wish it were not so, but it is. 
Trouble is, it's not our place, it's not our right to determine who's welcomed and who's not, because it ain't our party. It's God's party. Jesus told a beautiful story about that. You heard Brian read that parable a moment ago. This summer, we're talking about parables, and this is a wonderful, beautiful parable about a man, a rich man, who, who had a party and invited people, and the, the first ones he invited, of course, didn't come, and so he said to his messenger, go back and go to the, to the, 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 the differently abled, go to the, as Luke says, the blind and the crippled and the lame and invite him. And the, the servant did. And he came back and said, there's still more room. So he said, go to the highways and the byways, main streets and the alleys, from, from Ledges to Lincoln Village, from Scottsboro to Decatur, go and invite people. And he did. And they all, they all came. It's, the, it's a reminder of, of God's party and his gracious uh, universal invitation. Now, we need to be careful because we're, we're tempted to chase rabbits on this parable. There are lots of little minor details, little particulars. And, and, and New Testament scholars warn us not to chase those rabbits because there's, there's not a major point for every minor detail. Please hear me. There are lots of minor details in this and other parables, but parables, New Testament scholars tell us, really have one major thrust and then other truths that line up behind that major thrust, there's not like, you don't take every little detail, every particular, and try to draw a major life lesson from it. And that's, that's true here. So the major thrust of this parable is that, that God invites everybody to the party and everybody has a choice to make as to whether or not we will come again. The major thrust of the parable is God invites everybody to the party and everybody decides whether we will go or not. In October of 2018, a little boy named Teddy was coming up on his sixth birthday. He lived in Tucson, Arizona. He told his mom he wanted a birthday party at the pizza place, it probably like Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. So he, his mom made reservations for 32 children. They ordered the pizzas, sent out the invitation, and nobody came. One mom called and said she regretted they wouldn't be coming. Nobody else even called. His mama took a picture of him, of Teddy, at his sixth grade, six-year birthday party, sitting at a table with pizzas spread out in front of him. And you can imagine the the forlorn look on his face. She was so mad when she, she took that, she posted it on Facebook and it went viral. Little Teddy, six-year-old, sitting there to a party, at a party to which nobody came. Well, someone with the Phoenix Suns, the professional basketball team, saw that picture and they tweeted happy birthday to Teddy and said, come and let's have a big party at our place. They sent him four tickets to their upcoming game with the, the Lakers. And he went and hung out with the, um, with the players in the pregame and they treated it like a birthday party. It's a, it's a sad story with a happy ending, but it's hard to look at that picture. And I showed it to the folks in 815. It's hard to look at that picture of a six-year-old at a party to which nobody came. Have you ever had a party and not as many people came as you thought? Have you ever had a party 
and nobody came, the man in Jesus' parable did. In Jesus' day, by the way, it was common to send the invitation long before the date was planned. So a messenger would arrive at your door if you were on the guest list, and the messenger would say or hand you a note that said, I'm planning a big wing ding in the future. And when, and when the date comes, I'll let you know. That's what happened in this parable. The rich man sent his messenger to say, hey, in the future, there's going to be a big banquet. And when the time comes, I'll tell you and you come on. So what, he sent the messenger the second time and said, OK, that wing ding I told you about, it's today. So y'all come on. And, and one after the other gave excuse. The folks he first invited, of course, didn't come. Then he invited the cripple, the lame, the blind, and they came. Then he said, go out everywhere and invite the rest. And the major thrust, remember, is that God invites everybody to his party, and we decide whether or not we come. And there are several truths that line up behind that major thrust. Number one, God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative. In the world of theology, there's a beautiful phrase, prevenient grace. And if you have a Methodist background, you've probably heard a lot about that. It's a beautiful thing. Prevenient. Pre, of course, means before. Venient comes from the Latin venio, which means to come. It means it comes before, meaning that the invitation comes before we even knew there was a party. We, when we were spiritually lifeless, spiritually powerless, spiritually clueless. God stepped across that great chasm that separates us from him and invited us to the banquet. When we had no clue, when we had no power, when we did not have the, the power to step across in God's direction, he stepped across in ours. While we were yet sinners, God sent his son to die for us. He took the initiative. When I was in the eighth grade, I was on the football team, the eighth grade football team, and I heard from the cool kids, cool guys on the team, that Mike was having a party on Friday night. And I really wanted to go to that party. Now, Mike was on the football team. I knew him, and he sat next to me in one class. And so, in that class, I said, Mike, I hear there's a party Friday night. Could I come? And Mike said, no. And then he made up some excuse about there not being enough room. Well, now, Mike, both Mike and I knew that the reason I was not invited was that I had not reached the threshold of coolness. You see, I haven't always been this cool. <laughs> so in the eighth grade, I had yet not yet attained coolness. And so Mike and I'm, I'm embarrassed at how I begged him to go to the party. Would you, come, would you let me come? I wore him down and he let me go uh, to the party. Not so in this parable or in the world of our creator and his creations. He took the initiative. When we were spiritually powerless, clueless, and lifeless, he awakened within us a longing for him. In, the, in God's party, 
in the great banquet. It is God that takes the initiative, not us. Second truth that lines up behind our major thrust. Second truth is, well, it's a question to what is the invitation? What is the invitation to? It is an invitation to God's inner circle, to his family. It is an invitation to God's kingdom to come live under the rule of the reign of the beneficent king. It is an invitation into a personal relationship. It is an invitation to life at its best in an imperfect fallen world. It is an invitation to life forever in a place beyond our imaginations called heaven. Let me say that again. To what is the invitation? What is this? The banquet is symbol, of course. It's metaphor. It stands for an invitation into God's circle, his family. And it stands for an invitation to live in his kingdom. It's as if you lived in a land where they had a king ruled by a king and you said to citizens of other places, come live here under the rule of the beneficent king. It is an invitation into a personal relationship, not just a head knowledge. It is an invitation to life at its best in a world that is fallen and imperfect. It is a, an invitation. The banquet is symbolic. Even in the book of Revelation, heaven is called a banquet. It is a, an invitation to life that never ends in a place beyond our imagination called heaven. God takes the initiative, and that's what the invitation is to. Number three, all are invited. Everybody's invited. George Hunter was a professor at Asbury, a wonderful seminary in, um, in Wilmore, Kentucky. He, was also, he also consulted with churches. So he had gone to a church and he was kind of like, you know, Bill Wilson during the interim. Some of you remember Bill coming, consulting with y'all. So he was going to spend a week consulting with a church to help them gain a new vision. So George Hunter, staying the week, needed some fresh clothes, so he went to the laundromat. Now, some of you don't know what a laundromat is, but they used to be more popular than they are. It was a place where you could go and wash and dry your clothes. It was often, not always, but often used by people who could not yet afford a washer and dryer in their home. So for a few quarters, you could wash and dry your clothes. So George Hunter went there. He met eight people, eight people six of whom never had been involved in a church, five of whom said, yes, we'd be interested if we thought a church was interested in us. Five names. He took those five names to the next meeting of the church leaders. Five hot prospects. These are five people I met at the laundromat, he said, and they said they'd be interested if y'all were interested in them. And one of the leaders said, well, you know, the people at the laundromat are not always nice. Sounds like Craddock's church, right? We don't, you know, they might not fit in. Remember what I said, church folks sometimes, sometimes act like some folks are welcome and others are not. I know that a lot of y'all have read that wonderful book by Bob Goff, Love Does. And in that book, I want you to hear this. In that book, he makes a marvelous observation. He said, followers of Jesus are not bouncers. They're ushers. 
Think about that. You know what a bouncer does? Sits at the door of the club. I mean, I've seen it on TV and I've heard about it. <laughs> so the bouncer I hear sits at the door. That's what Billy said anyway. I don't know. He said they, <laughs> they sit at the door and they determine whether you can come in or not. Followers of Jesus are not bouncers. We're ushers. Ushers say, come right this way. We're so glad you're here. We want you to get a, a good seat. So here, come, come with us. So every Sunday at 600 Governors Drive and during the week when you have a, an opportunity to speak with someone about faith, remember, you are not a bouncer. You are not determining who's welcome and who's not. You are an usher because everybody, everybody is invited. Next truth, grace is the basis of the invitation. Grace is the basis of the invitation. A, a, a guy I knew from uh, San Antonio, Texas, showed me a, a, a column in the lost and found section of a Midwestern newspaper. Listen to how it reads, listen carefully. Lost dog, brown fur, some missing due to mange. Blind in one eye, slightly arthritic, Limps due to a recent automobile accident. Answers to the name, Lucky. <laughs> and the guy who showed it to me got a chuckle out of it too. And, but then he said, you know, that dog is lucky. Because with all its problems, there's somebody that misses that dog. There's somebody that put a, an ad in that paper and, and, and wants that dog home. And we're lucky too, because with our blind spots and our manginess and all our problems, the host of the banquet wants us all to come and he sends his messenger and his spirit and other people to say, come, I want you at my banquet. By the way, remember a moment ago I said, we can't chase those rabbits. There's not a major truth for every minor detail. We need, we need to remember that here too, because you know, the man invited his list. They didn't come. So he said, go to the blind, the lame, the crippled. And they came and then he said, go invite some more. And then they all came. If we're not careful, we will think there's an A list and a B list and a C list of invitees. And that's not the point. The point of the parable is that everybody's invited, including some people that other people think should not be invited. You with me? That's the point. Not that there's a first class list and second class list and third class, class list, but that there are some people invited that other people think ought not be there. Sonny Herford was a physician here a long time ago uh, he wrote a book titled Beside the Troubled Waters. It's mainly about racial integration in Huntsville. But in that book, he talks about his dad. And I want you to listen to what he said. My daddy was the only child of Annie Herford and Matt Stewart, who lived together for a time and then separated right after my father was born. 
Dr. Herford wrote, Daddy was what people called an outside child, which means he'd been born out of wedlock and raised by his mother's folks. An outside child. But there are no outside children in the family of God. There's no A-list and B-list and C-list of invitees. You're all on the A-list. Whatever you've done and wherever you are, you are all on the A-list. All are invited. Grace is the basis of the invitation. Next, and I'm nearly through, the invitation has to be accepted. God grants to us free will, meaning the responsibility, the opportunity, the freedom to make our own decisions. To decide about the course of our lives. We can make good decisions or bad decisions. And he gives us the freedom to decide things that, that then determine the trajectory of our lives. But we all have that free will. We all have the freedom to decide. And everybody decides, everybody decides whether or not we will accept God's offer of grace, unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. Everybody decides whether we will accept God's offer of grace. And grace is kind of confusing. Greg Lowry went to Disneyland, he said, with his extended family. They ordered the tickets beforehand. They had a bunch of tickets, but one of the family members couldn't go, so they had an extra ticket. They showed up at, in Orlando with an extra ticket, and he said to his wife, I don't want this ticket to go to waste, so I'm going to stand outside the gate, and I'm going to give this free ticket to somebody, because somebody may have a hard time uh, affording tickets. So that morning, he stood outside the entrance to Disney World and held up a free ticket. Anybody want a ticket? Free ticket. People walked right by. I got a free ticket. Anybody want a ticket? One man walked up, said, how much does it cost? He said, it's free. Man said, no, thank you. And walked up to the gate and paid good money for a, for a ticket. Lowry said, I practically begged people to take my free ticket. Finally, someone took it, but then only reluctantly. Why? Because they thought there were strings attached. They thought he was going to Say, well, good, let me give you, let me talk to you about a condo. You know, let's sit through that. Or, or maybe he was concerned about their vehicle warranty. A lot of people are concerned, you know, about that. And it, something free and of value seemed so, he seemed like a weirdo, right? Grace flies in the face of, of our American values, you know, we're supposed to get what you work for. And so grace seems so odd. But this unlimited, unrelenting love is unconditional and undeserved. It is free. And the invitation to the party goes out to everybody. And we all decide whether or not we will, we all decide whether or not we're going to accept that free gift of that free gift of grace. I come now to what I think is the best part of the story. It's in verse 22. The man has invited 
his associates, the main, you know, the, the main invitation list, the first invitation list. They didn't come, and so the wealthy man said to his servant, go back and invite the, the differently abled and let, and let them come. And they came, and they came, and more came. And then the servant said to his master, Sir, there is still room. So go, he said, to the highways and the alleys and, and keep inviting them. That beautiful phrase, there's still room, has haunted me all week. Some of you grew up in churches where you sang gospel songs, I did. And I've been humming a, I've been humming a song all week that just seemed appropriate for this morning. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. If you know it, would you sing that with me? There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. For two millennia, God has sent the invitation through his word, the Bible, through his spirit, through people who are bold enough to speak of Jesus. Everybody's invited and we all decide whether we want to come or not. The invitation